1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 39. Let's read. The Bible says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired Yahweh's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said, A second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, A third time. They did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for the offering, or at the time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the mighty one in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are the mighty one and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, He is the Mighty One. Yahweh, He is the Mighty One. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. The prophets of Baal went first in the contest on Mount Carmel. They slaughtered their bull. They cut it up in pieces and they placed it on their altar. And then they called on the name of Baal for the better part of the day, chanting and hobbling around the altar that they had made. And they began to shout louder and louder after high noon. And they even cut their own flesh in hopes of getting an answer from their mighty one. But no answer ever came. And now it was Elijah's turn. And I want you to notice first that Elijah had to repair the altar that had been torn down. This was Yahweh's altar, but it had been neglected. And when you neglect something, that something suffers. The altar had been neglected by the Israelites. They were the people of Yahweh, Yahweh's chosen people above all the families of the earth but they had turned their backs on Yahweh. As a nation, they had followed their leader, Ahab. They had abandoned Yahweh and served Baal and Asherah. Now, we won't get into this in detail until the next chapter, but in 1 Kings 19, 9-10, we read something that fits so well that I have to read it now. So if you want to flip 1 Kings 19, verses 9-10, through it says, He, speaking of Elijah entered a cave there and spent the night. Then the word of Yahweh came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, the mighty one of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, 
and they are looking for me to take my life. Here, Elijah makes intercession against the Israelites. It was the Israelites whom Yahweh made his covenant agreement with, but they had abandoned that covenant. Yahweh had kept his end, but Israel had not kept their end. And therefore, in 1 Kings 19.10, the next thing out of Elijah's mouth is not only that they had abandoned the covenant, but that they had torn down Yahweh's altars. This included the altar that Elijah had to repair that day on Mount Carmel. See, the condition of the altar equaled the condition of the Israelites. The altar had been neglected because the Israelites had abandoned the covenant. When you neglect things that are most important in your walk with Yahweh, your walk with Yahweh suffers. Prayer, reading, studying, meditating on His law, assembling with Yahweh's people, neglecting these things leads to a tearing down of righteousness. And as a result of you abandoning what Yahweh has given you, your life with Yahweh begins to disappear. And it never happens all at once, generally. Sometimes it can. I'm not saying that it can't. But it usually happens gradually and slowly instead of overnight. You know that Yahweh can give you something and you can abandon it? When this happens and you realize that it has happened, what is needed is not a continuing down the wrong path. Once you notice that you're going down the wrong direction, you don't need to keep walking that way. You need to make the necessary changes in your life. You need to, quote-unquote, repair the altar of Yahweh that has been broken down. That's the first thing Elijah did. He repaired the altar. The state of the altar was a testimony that Israel had been unfaithful. But as unfaithful as she was to Yahweh, there was still room for hope and repair. See, whatever has been picked apart and torn down piece by piece over a period of time can be put together again, not by you, but it can be put together again by our Heavenly Father. But there must come a time that you decide that it's time to repair the altar. If you never begin repairing, everything will continue to suffer. But as soon as you begin to repair, everything will begin to work in the direction of Yahweh's righteousness. And so Elijah took 12 stones that day to repair the altar. That was not a coincidence. That was not a random number. There are 12s all through the Bible. I think I taught on the number 12 one time in a sermon. But specifically in this text, these stones represented the tribes of Jacob Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob Israel and their progeny. And this should be an encouragement to us. Because in spite of Israel's rebellion, in spite of her abandoning the covenant and tearing down the altars of Yahweh and killing her own prophets, these 12 stones were a witness that Yahweh was not finished with His children. Yahweh, in His great love, was still reaching out to them in compassion. Return. Return to Me, your true love. Leave Baal and come back to Me, Yahweh was saying. Well, verse 32 says that Elijah built this altar in the name of Yahweh. He was working for Yahweh. 
He was a man who walked in the name of Yahweh everywhere that he went. And Yahweh's great name is the reason why Yahweh was about to send fire first and then rain second upon the land. Remember back in verse 1 of this chapter where Yahweh tells Elijah, I will send rain on the surface of the land? That's the beginning of the chapter. Most people never stop and think, why? Why is Yahweh going to send rain? It had not rained in three and a half years. Brother Rocket was doing some work on my truck at the house the other day, and of course we're in a small drought compared to this one. It's not rained for almost two months now here. And Brother Rocket, the first thing he said was, I sure hope we get some rain. I hope it don't last three and a half years. That let me know Brother Rocket's listening to my sermon. So that was encouraging. It had not rained in three and a half years as a curse upon Israel. Yahweh had shut up the sky as he promised to do back at the second giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. And we just read moments ago that Elijah says in 1 Kings 19, one chapter after this, that Israel was still in abandoning mode. So why, I ask you, why is Yahweh going to send rain on the surface of the land? 1 Kings 18, verse 1. Elijah, go to Ahab and tell him, I'm about to send rain on the surface of the land. Why send it? Why not wait until Israel turns back? I'm going to deal with that shortly. For now, notice that Elijah not only repairs Yahweh's altar, but he then digs a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons of water. By the way, he likely got it. The text doesn't tell us. He likely got the water from the Mediterranean Sea. Mount Carmel was kind of nooked over that sea in that that place. So that's probably where he got that water from in the severe drought. And in verse 33, he arranges the wood, he sacrifices the bull, cuts the bull up, places the animal on the wood, and he then commands that four water pots be filled with water and poured on the bull and on the wood. Then he says, fill them a second time and do it again. And that water is poured on the altar. And then he says, fill them a third time and do it again. And that water's poured on the altar. And so we have four water pots, three times a piece. And four times three equals twelve. That number is significant. It's not just the twelve stones for the tribes of Israel. It's also the twelve pots of water for the tribes of Israel. I believe that's correlating there in the text. So water was running all around the altar in the trench and soaking the bull and the wood on the altar. Didn't Elijah know that wet wood doesn't burn? When Brother TJ was building a campfire this past Feast of Tabernacles, he did not ask me to get the water hose out and wet down the wood before he started the fire. If I would have asked him that, you want me to wet the wood down, brother? He'd probably look at me and thought I was either joking or that I had lost common sense. But see, Elijah did that because Elijah was stacking the odds against himself. He did not ask Baal's prophets to water down their altar, but he watered down Yahweh's altar. When it was Elijah's turn, he stacked those odds against himself because he wanted to show them that the mighty one he served bypassed what the natural mind can understand. Yahweh is the true mighty one, and he can do something that makes no sense to our natural minds. Normally, water puts out fire. When a house catches on fire, the fire department sends out a truck full of water to the site to put the fire out. But Yahweh worked backwards. He sends fire 
to put out the water. Don't question it. Don't doubt it. He's Yahweh. He's the fire sender and He's the water quencher. Amen? Verse 36 says that when it came time for the sacrifice to be made, Elijah walked up to the altar that he had just repaired with those 12 stones and those 12 pots of water poured on that wood. And his prayer is just a few words. It's nothing like the prayer of Baal's prophets. They've been praying from morning till well past noon, hooping, hollering the whole time, never get an answer. Elijah just walks up and he begins to pray. And this is what he said. He said, Yahweh, the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today let it be known that you are the mighty one in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are the mighty one and that you have turned their hearts back. Now I want you to notice some things in this short prayer that are very important. First of all, notice Elijah's humility. Elijah's prayer isn't about him. It's about Yahweh. You are the mighty one. He exalts Yahweh. He uplifts Yahweh and he calls himself Yahweh's servant. He says, I'm your servant. The Hebrew word there is abed. And it means servant, slave, or bondman. In this case, it's bondman to Yahweh. Now, Elijah, I would argue, was the holiest man in Israel at that time. At that time, there was none holier than Elijah. But Elijah says, I'm your slave, Yahweh. At your word, I lived by the creek and was fed by the ravens. At your word, I went to go visit the little widow woman in Zarephath of Sidon. At your word, I presented myself to King Ahab. You gave me all these directions, and I, as your slave, did what you, my master, commanded me. I did all these things at your word, so now, please, answer me. On that basis, Elijah says, answer me, Yahweh. And then he says, so that, the people will know that you, Yahweh, are the Mighty One and that you have turned their hearts back. You have turned their hearts back. That statement is so important. That's the next statement. Elijah's humility first. Second, the statement, you, Yahweh, have turned their, Israel's, hearts back. Now, I began this lesson tonight speaking about repairing altars that have been torn down. That would include things like repenting of sin, walking down the proper path toward Yahweh rather than away from Yahweh. And that is something that we do. Repentance is something that you do. It's something that I do. But I don't ever want you to forget this. When you feel an inclination to do that, when a conviction comes upon your heart over sin, you commit a sin, and you have conviction come upon your heart This isn't in my notes, but the Bible does talk about a true repentance and a false repentance. The Bible says that Esau sought repentance with tears, but he couldn't find it. I'm not talking about that you say, I'm sorry because you got caught. I'm talking about you say, I'm sorry, and you have sorrow in your heart because you violated Yahweh's holy law. And He's a great king, and He's your master, and you hurt Yahweh. You sinned against Him, and you repent. That way, that's true repentance. Repentance will never make an excuse for sin. Repentance will never make light of sin. Repentance will never try to weasel your way out of sin. Repentance will say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry, Yahweh. Please forgive me. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do to make it right. A true sorrow for sin. When you have that in your heart, and you say, I want my altar 
or your altar, Yahweh, to be repaired. When you speak those words truly from your heart, the reason that you do that is because Yahweh, in ways that only He can do, has turned your heart back to Him. Therefore, that's the title of my sermon, Yahweh, the turner of the heart. Elijah says, so that this people will know that you have turned their hearts back. Whenever you turn to Yahweh, Yahweh has already been there to turn your heart back to Him. He's already placed people in your path. He's already laid out His plan in your path. As I like to say, He's already laid the rocks in the river of your life to direct the water flow where He wants it to go. You ever do that when you're a little boy? You go down to the creek and you put a rock here and a stone here and a rock here and you lead that water in the direction that you want it to go? I like to think that's what Yahweh does to turn our hearts. I know what they need. I know it needs to happen. So let me send this person. Let me send this child. Let me make this happen. And He moves that river in the direction that it needs to go in our life. And the reason He does that, brothers and sisters, and this gets me every time, the reason He does that is because of His love for you and His compassion for you. That's why. When we repent of a sin in our life, it feels as though we're the ones that are turning our heart back to Yahweh. And you know what? We are. We are. From our perspective, we're turning our hearts back to Yahweh. That's what we can see. That's what we can realize. We're dedicating another part of our life to the Almighty. But from His heavenly perspective, Yahweh is the one who has orchestrated these great happenings in your life. And that's because Yahweh is the turner of your heart. He is. Think with me back to moments in your life. Deep, convicting moments. Moments where they were life-changing. And ask yourself, did I just all of a sudden turn to Yahweh? Or did Yahweh orchestrate events in my life? that woke me up <laughs> and made me to turn to Him. Well, after Elijah prayed, Yahweh's fire fell from heaven. It consumed the bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. And the Bible says in this translation, it licked up the water that was in the trench. Yahweh sent the fire to put out the water. I know that's backwards, but He's Yahweh. Let Him be Yahweh. The people all shouted, Yahweh, He is the Mighty One. Yahweh, He is the Mighty One. I can imagine, why, how could you not shout if you saw that happen? The prophets of Baal had been doing their thing all day long. And Elijah repairs this altar and just says this three-sentence prayer, and boom, fire falls down from heaven and consumes all that. And that brings me back to the point I began to make earlier. Why is Yahweh going to send rain in this chapter? Why? Well, if you read down to the end of the chapter, Yahweh sends a downpour of rain. It's the first rain in three and a half years, but why? And here's the answer. The answer is because of His great name. That's the answer. This is why Yahweh will never abandon His people Israel. It is not because Israel is such a wonderful, righteous people it is because Yahweh swore an oath to Father Abraham. And He swore it in His name. And Yahweh cannot lie. He can't lie. 
Many moons ago, Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12. You read it from Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And Yahweh will not lie. He will not go back on His promise. And Yahweh will not have His name drugged through the mud because His name is prestigious. We talked about that a few sermons ago, how Elijah called on the name of Yahweh. Yahweh does not want His name profaned among the heathen. So time and time again, He forgives Israel of her sins and He turns her heart back to Him. This is one of those times. Israel did not deserve rain. Ahab, the king, the top man, supposed to be the top man, he had not repented. The nation as a whole had not repented. But Yahweh sent the rain because of His great name. The Bible is not a book about what Israel has done for Yahweh, but it is a book about what Yahweh has done for Israel. It is. When Elijah first asked, how long will you hobble between two opinions, if Yahweh's the mighty one, follow him, but if Baal's the mighty one, follow him, back in verse 21, the people didn't answer him a word, the Bible says. They didn't answer. They were hobbling between two opinions. They were eating off both tables. As Paul says, you can't do there in the New Covenant. Scriptures. The Israelites were not seeking Yahweh, but guess what? Yahweh was seeking the Israelites. <laughs> He's the great shepherd of the sheep, amen? He was seeking them because of His great name, because of His oath, because of His promise. And through this contest on Mount Carmel, Yahweh began to turn their hearts back to Him. So my family here today, as I close, my brothers and my sisters, I want you to know this. If your heart is inclined to Yahweh today, if your heart is seeking to do the will of Yahweh, and what I mean by that is to keep the commandments of Yahweh. That's the only way you can love Yahweh, is to keep His commandments. There's no other way that you can love Him except to keep His commandments. That's His love. So if your heart's inclined to want to keep His commandments, if your heart's inclined to repent of sin, ask for forgiveness, live a life of repentance, it is not because you were first seeking Yahweh. It is because He was first seeking you. You love Him because He loved you first. He turned your heart to Him. And the reason He did it is because of His great name. May all the glory go to Yahweh and none to ourselves. Let's stand and pray. We'll be back here next week again. Heavenly Father, you're the great turner of hearts. I thank you for turning my heart to you. And I pray that you'd continue to do so and that I would be a pliable man and that we would be a pliable people willing to repair those altars that have been torn down in our lives. Yahweh, wake us up. Reveal things to us in the nighttime and the daytime. Let us constantly keep our minds stayed on You. And help us to keep ourselves from growing weary in doing well. Because in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. I pray that You would kindle Your fire in the hearts of the men and women and children here. And that we would shout, You are the mighty one, Yahweh. And You have turned the hearts of Israel back.
through your Son, Yeshua the Messiah, I pray. Amen.